Hello, and welcome to Regrets I've Had a Few. I'm Paul Hunter, Artistic Director of Told by an Idiot, and this is a podcast where I talk to friends and colleagues delving into what made them the person they are today. Hello, um, my guest this month um, is a fellow Brummie, uh, and like Told by an Idiot, is an associate at the Birmingham Repertory Theatre. And she's also managed to do that thing which I always admire, which is to be successful across different mediums, because I think that's a very, very hard thing to do, because obviously in this country, people like to pigeonhole you as as much as possible. But she's an extraordinarily accomplished actor across film and stage and a wonderful writer um, and adapter. Her adaptation of the, the book Life of Pi is currently enchanting audiences in London's glittering West End. Uh, welcome, Lolita Chakrabarti. Hi, Paul. Hello, hello. What a lovely introduction. Thank you. Well, you're very welcome. It's very nice to see you. Now, I have to make it clear to the listeners that we do have, uh, we do go quite far back in our acting careers, which I will touch on a little bit later. I'll just entice them with that. Um, (laughs) But am I right that you weren't born in Birmingham, but you spent your childhood in Birmingham? Is that correct? Yeah, I was born in Hull. But okay. I spent six months of my life in Hull, so I don't have any memories of it at all. My dad will often say, do you remember that time? I was like, no, no, I was really not, not present. Um, but I grew up in Birmingham, yes, from six months to, I left when I was 18 to come to London. Ah, so yes, we do share that almost same trajectory of, of, uh, of childhood and then leaving for a slightly bigger city. Um, and I... I often do this with my guests. I take them right back uh, uh, at the beginning just to kind of investigate what your first connections or or first experience of show business might have been, what you might have seen very early on. Because your your father was in medicine, is that right? Yeah, yeah that is. So right. a very different um, uh, yeah. world to the one that you're in. But what were your early memories of theatre or film? Or? Um, I... we were not a theatre going family so theatre was through school Um, and when I discovered theatre through school I uh, oh my god it was I couldn't stop so Birmingham Rep I don't know if you remember they had that card that I think it was a pound a show once you bought the card you could see things for nothing really Um, and I did and I it was the first young company that was there I remember that do you remember that? And it yeah. was wasn't Glenn, wasn't Alex Ian Glenn in that company? Yes, yes. Ian yeah. Glenn, Alex Kingston, yeah. Mark Lockyer, um, Stephen Pessoa. I remember because I did my A. Le- one of my um, uh, they let me come in and uh, watch rehearsals and do a sort of A level wow. project and interview them, uh, the actors. And I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. So that that was definitely um, very present through my teenage years. But television. I mean, television was extraordinary. It wasn't on all the time, was it? <laughs> in those days, so you had to catch drama or films at very particular times of the day. Yeah. There were only three channels. It sounds like we were Victorians, weren't we? Um, it does feel but, like that when you tell one your children that. They can't believe yeah. it. They can just watch anything whenever they want. And yeah. when you say, no, no, it was on at that night, at that time, and that, yeah. <laughs> that was it. Exactly. If you missed it, you missed it. You couldn't tape it, nothing. Um, So I I watched a lot of drama on TV Um, and fantastic things. You know, Alan Bennett. Yeah. uh, um, I used to love Victoria Wood and um, just plays. There were plays on TV. There were amazing. And I I think because we're obviously from a a similar place and a a similar time, you're absolutely right. I remember watching things, not always understanding them, but watching things like Dennis Potter and Blue Remembered Hills and 
thinking, yes. what is this? This is extraordinary. Yes. yes. I, saw, I saw a drama with uh, Sherry Lungi and Omar Sharif. Oh my word. And there was another actor in it and they were in a white room on TV and I caught it halfway through and I was absolutely transported. I had no idea what it was. I was like, this is extraordinary. And then I had the good fortune to work with Sherry Lungi a few years later, well, a lot, a lot of years later. Um, and I said, what was that? And it was a Jean-Paul Sartre play. Uh, about I mean, on, on the BBC, yeah. I mean, it's kind yeah. of bizarre yeah. when you think about it, isn't it? I thought you were going to say I had the great fortune of working with Omar Sharif, which would have, oh. which, <laughs> which would have led to my next series of questions. Um, I, I, I sometimes find myself asking this question to guests who maybe have done something very different to what their background was. A bit like me, my, my dad was an electrician and my mum was a dinner lady. There was no context for it. But I just wonder when you had to kind of come clean and say you wanted to be an actor was that a difficult conversation with your parents or how was that I sort of didn't really understand the context of what yeah. I wanted I just knew I wanted it and so once I found the name actor uh, I didn't really know what that meant I mean you know so I so I thought that's what I want to do when I was 14 I, I, mean, yeah. I mean I kind of knew early on I knew when I was young that I loved drama I just loved yeah. it but when I was 14 you start having all those career chats about what you're going to do and all of that um, and I said I, I went to a convent you probably remember that yes before. yes uh, I went to the convent of the holy child Jesus in um, in Birmingham and um, we had a, a careers talk with um, the head sister Wayne and I remember saying to her I'd like to be an actor and that was the first my dad heard of it because we had separate um, meetings you know so you they talk to the student yeah. first then yeah. to the parent and I think she broke it to my dad gently <laughs> <laughs> Um, and uh, it went, yeah, you know. It's interesting, isn't it? I remember a friend of mine telling me a story that I don't think would have been funny for him at the time, but was very funny when he told it me, where he had a younger brother as an Irish actor who was quite a successful uh, okay. actor. And uh, this friend of mine had studied architecture for like six years. And just at graduating to be an architect, I decided he also wanted to become an actor and give up all the architecture. Oh and God. on the same Sunday lunch, him and his brother were racing home to be the first because his brother wanted to tell his parents that he was gay. And my friend <laughs> wanted to tell them that he was giving up architecture. <laughs> and I thought it would make a great scene in a film, these two brothers racing home to get their news in first. And what's intriguing is which response got the worst? Well, I should say, <laughs> my friend said that they were in absolutely totally understanding of his brother but furious at him for giving up the architect <laughs> so i don't know it's an interesting have you ever had to play anybody medical of course in your career all the time do all you the, oh wow. yeah every all all my tv jobs tend to be i'm an authority figure always and when i was younger i was like what is going on and now i'm older i get it but I played doctors, I've been surgeons, anaesthetists. That's really difficult. I had to come in and say, I'm the anaesthetist. And you just, under the pressure of all of it, you know, I actually walk at the anaesthetist. Um, I've played midwives, I've played- Wow. Uh, I've done loads of medical, and so much so that when I'm like with people, when I'm with my dad, um, you know, who sadly has been in hospital a little bit in the recent years, oh people will say, oh, are you medical? And I want to say, I've played medical. <laughs> I don't know if your father's like this, but I have a, uh, my uh, brother-in-law is a retired judge and uh -huh. I've done a few legal things. And uh, whenever I do something, he, he, I had a small part in this movie where I had to be the judge's 
clerk or something, be with the judge. And he went to see it at the cinema. And the only thing he said, he rang me up, he said, the judge is wearing the wrong robes. <laughs> <laughs> so does your father comment on any of the medical practice being incorrect? I think he used to think, oh, I, I can't watch Casualty because, you know, it's, it's, it's just drama. Because it's, <laughs> obviously it's drama. That's why we're watching it, right? Exactly. Whereas they deal with operations in a very practical way. Yes, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm no. sure. Well, maybe um, now we've touched on the convent of the Holy Child Jesus, I should reveal that we performed in a play uh, there, which my memory, as I've tried to trawl back, was that the drama teacher that I had who was teaching me drama O-level maybe had taught at your school or no. not? I don't know. Maybe I'm making that up. Maybe it was just the fact that she was contacted by your drama teacher and they wanted to do a play and they needed a, a, a boy actor. We needed um, men. We did. We needed men. We were a girls' school, and it was the hundredth anniversary of the founding nun. That's nun. correct. That's right. Sounds yes. Like a joke now, doesn't it? Cornelia Connolly. That's it. Uh, That's yeah. it. I think it would have made a great carry-on film, but we were on on search <laughs> for men. <laughs> it does. It does have a slight Centurions feel to it, doesn't it? Like yeah. the sort of caper thing. But um, I also kind of. I vaguely remember it being a slightly strange play. I remember it being quite full of melodrama and an incident. Um, very long. I remember it was about three and a half hours long, wasn't it? It was. But we, you were the oh, only yes. young person and you were the only outsider. I remember it vividly because everyone else's brothers and fathers and people who came in, but you were the, you were the, the young, yes. young outsider. Outsider, yeah. And, and I think I... I was at that stage a bit like you, where I was so desperate to act. I got into the one of the youth theatres, I think, at the Triangle Youth Theatre at Aston University. And um, I just wanted to do, you know, at that point, you just wanted to act in anything, didn't you, really? Yeah. Someone asked you. Um, yeah. So if we move forward a little bit, obviously, you, you then went to RADA. Well, not obviously, you managed to get into RADA, which is a huge achievement. What was it like turning up there? Oh, it was extraordinary. I was going to go to university. Yeah. And then I stack the drama teacher at um, Holy Child. She said, look, just try, try for RADA. Why not? Give it a go. And I was convinced I wouldn't get in because yeah. it's so competitive, right? Yeah. And then, and I just, I also had my head into uni. I thought, I'm going to go do drama at uni. And I went to RADA and God, you could, like you said, you could just do drama all day. <laughs> thought, this is extraordinary. They're going to teach you how to do all the different elements of it all day. So by the time I did the, it's quite a rigorous audition process. And by the time mm. I'd done the first one, I just, I wanted to go there, no question. Uh, and turning up there, it's extraordinary. You're, you know, when you're doing drama at school, you become quite a big fish in a, in a small pond, mm. don't you? Because you, you kind of show that you're the drama person. You're the person who does all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. And then you go to drama school and realize, oh, you're a really small fish in a very big pool because there's so mm. much talent from everywhere. And this is just a handful of people. Um, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. We did everything. We did acting classes, voice, dialect, stage fighting, movement, improvisation. You know, there was absolutely yeah. plays on tap. It was three years of um, just rigorous training. I don't know about you, but I, whenever I'm in a, on a job, which maybe he's not going as well as I hoped it would, <laughs> I, often, I often try to think back to those times of being at college where you were so excited just to get up in a room and do anything yeah. um and uh 
I think it's sometimes good to reflect on that passion and that excitement. Yes, I agree um, with you completely because because it, it, it's very singular, isn't it? That motivation for why you got into the industry in the first place was love and excitement. Yeah, exactly. And it's easy to, for that to get lost along the way or get slightly, you know, detour or whatever. And what kind of parts were you playing? Were you were you in the authority position straight away at uh, Lolita? Or? <laughs> you mean at Rada or when I came out? Yeah, uh, Rada. Uh, at Rada, no, Rada was more diverse. Um, okay, so I, oh, good. I, mean, I guess I was still a teenager to 21, you know, 18 to 21. So I wasn't, hadn't quite hit my uh, authority phase yet. But, uh, <laughs> so I did a bit of everything. I, I played Iphigenia or Iphigenia, depending on how you pronounce it, Greek uh, yeah. tragedy. Um, and then I played, uh, gosh, it's hard to remember. What did I play? There was some George Bernard Shaw play that was really dense. <laughs> Something to do with D.H. Lawrence. Some Russian Russian women in hospital, I remember. Uh, like that. So it was a very sort of mixed uh, bag of all sorts of things. And did you find kind of a, a, a group that uh, you've kind of stayed in touch with over the years? or? Well, my husband's from the year of... Well, <laughs> that's one, one part of the group, yes. yes. That, that part I kept in touch with a lot. Um, I, I, it's funny, you know, you all go off and work in different places, yeah. don't you? You kind of spread and, and head out. And whenever I see anyone, it's just lovely. You just go back to that time. So you kind of keep up with what people are doing and where they are. Um, mm. But no, I wouldn't say there's a sort of core of us. that. No, it's interesting because obviously you know so thinking about lots of links between uh, yourself and and told by an idiot one was of course you were you went back to rada recently to be in the production of hamlet didn't you with my, my dear friend aisha uh, yes, um, yeah and it must have been strange to perform at rada wasn't it for those of you who were, who were from RADA. yeah it was a really singular thing it was a it was a kind of grand fundraiser and also an opportunity yeah. to do a really good piece of work so we did hamlet tom hiddleston was hamlet Ken Branagh directed, and there were 10 of us in the cast. And, um, and but we did it in the, it used to be called the Vambra Theatre. It's now, I think, the Vambra Gerwood yes. or the Gerwood. I'm not quite sure. Um, but it's um, but it's a 160 seat place. And the tickets were like golden Willy Wonka tickets, you know. Yes, of course. Um, but it was extraordinary to do a play of that scale to that intimate audience. Yeah. Um, and everyone yeah. was and it was a three week run so it was really fast um, and I think we all we didn't let a single show go you know because with a long run you can often go oh I'm a bit tired okay I'll just cut this yes. one a little bit but that it was just thrilling to it was pure storytelling and a pure transfer of energy of us translating this play for a very select group of people um, so it felt yeah. such a privilege to do and Aisha, it's I've got to just tell you Aisha was also in my play Red Velvet so she, was she? Yes, of course she, she was. was. She was in Red Velvet when we did it. Uh, I think. Of course she was. Yes, I, I'd forgotten that. We'll we'll obviously come to your writing, but it's interesting that that notion of doing those plays in those intimate spaces, because it's. I, I've only had a brief experience. We did a, a show that um, Catherine Hunter directed called My Perfect Mind, which was myself and Edward Pefferbridge, and it on one level it was a kind of chamber version of King Lear. So we played it at the Young Vic in the Maria in the smaller space there. And just to be on stage with Edward, who's such a brilliant actor. Yeah. And I, we did the scene where Cordelia comes back to him and I play Cordelia. I thought this is utterly surreal on one level. <laughs> but I think people really enjoyed seeing an actor at, at, like Edward 
play Lear in a very intimate way where he could be very subtle and very you know understated and yeah and I imagine it must be similar with the Hamlet as well that sounds like a lovely a lovely gig I wish I'd seen it I, I think it's it, financially it doesn't make sense necessarily does it that's why we no. don't do it no. we need to have a bigger reach um, in order to finance the show um, but this was yeah it was lovely it's one of those that as you say you get a little bit um, worn down by the jobs that aren't quite as satisfying as you hope Yes. Um, and, then, yes. and then you do a job that really just reaffirms storytelling and the purity of it and why you did it in the first place and allows you to play because that's all yeah that's true that, that's very true um and also that notion of doing something for a period of time it's an interesting thing isn't it when i remember i had a friend who was in the original production of warhorse mm. and on the day when i realized he'd uh, been in it for a certain amount of time I sent him a message saying congratulations you've now been in Warhorse longer than the war itself <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> and, uh, he, he, he said back and he went I've got to get out I've got to get out because if you think about it theatre shouldn't go on for that long should it it's Goodness, <laughs> but, that is long, unless you've got new energies coming in to sort of reinvent yes <laughs> I mean I'm, that, I'm giving an extreme example there but <laughs> I suppose I was interested in did you not go into the bill for a while and, and play something quite regular? Yeah, I did. I was in the bill for two years in the end. I, I, wow. I always decided that I wouldn't stay too long. I gave myself a sort of three-year limit and then I stayed yeah. for two. Um, and that was a brilliant job. I absolutely loved it. It was yeah. fantastic. It was like doing rep theatre on telly. And, you know, in the, the bill was, was, was big. It was a big show yeah. with um, familiar, familiar characters. I mean, I remember the first raid that we did and I've just been on the job a few weeks and I'm in one of the cars with one of the sort of significant, I think it was probably Graham Cole, who played PC Stamp, you know, from really familiar faces. And there's about, I don't know, six cars and, and then Eric would go, 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 go on the radio. We'd all run out of our cars, put our hats on, because that was costume. Costume said you had to have your hats on. And then we'd run into this house. I thought, oh, my God, I'm in the telly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously you, you, you kind of, I suppose, a bit like most of us. I mean, you kind of get going and you get, you go where the work is and yeah. you, hopefully it's interesting. And, um, and then maybe, as you say, you, you, you meet people along the way, like I met Haley, which was obviously significant for me. Um, where did the germ of the writing come from? Or was it always there? Well, in retrospect, it was kind of, all, my, my love of language has always been there, but that's only in retrospect, really. Um, I mean, I, I did public speaking at school. I don't know if you did that, yeah. but I did a lot of public oh. speaking at school, which I had to write these speeches and, you know, do these five minute speeches on topics that they gave us. So that's kind of where I began writing. Um, and then at RADA, my last show at college that we showed to directors and, you know, producers and things in, in the third year was terrible. It was a terrible forehander. And I, I was, we were also appalled, me and the other actresses, that we, this was our final showing. So I rewrote yeah. it. I went home every night and I rewrote the scenes. Wow. Yeah, and I mean, I, who knows if it was any better, but we did the version that I wrote. Um, I, I think I'm somebody who just goes, OK, that's not good enough. I'm going to do it. I'm just going to, just, I'll just do it. Yeah. So it gave me a flavour of, oh, okay, that, that's possible. Um, and then about four or five years out of college, when I'd been working, and I was working quite, you know, I was doing lots of theatre, it was great, but there's always gaps, right? There's never enough. Yeah. You've always yeah. got moments yeah. you've got to sit down for months and wait and audition. 
Um, and I got bored and I thought, God, I can't, this is my life now. I can't just sit waiting for the next gig. Um, and I also was a bit frustrated by the scale of, not the scale, not the size of parts, but the kinds of parts. That yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Um, so I started to write to see if I could. And what, oh, and what did you write when you sat down to write? I wrote short stories. I wrote a lot of short okay. stories, yeah, because I was, I sort of read a bit about how to start writing and they said, see if you can tell a story, beginning, middle and end, and do not stop. Even if it's on a piece of toilet roll, write a beginning line, a middle line, an end line, and just tell, tell structure, work structure. Um, and then a friend of mine, who's an actress, was working for a company called Interact, uh, who are professional actors who go into hospital and read short stories, like 10 minute stories to stroke patients. Um, and they were looking for writers. And she knew I was writing short stories. So I, I submitted a couple of stories and they bought them. And I thought, oh, I can get paid. <laughs> <laughs> it occurred to me I could get paid. So I wrote about 40 stories for Interact over a few years. And then I, wow. and then I was right, started to expand. And I wrote a terrible first draft of a novel. I wrote a film, a teleseries. I wrote loads of things, but I didn't really share them with anyone other than my other. Yeah. And where did the idea for Red Velvet come from? So um, Adrian, my other half, was doing a reading about Ira Aldridge, who's the subject um, yep. Red Velvet, um, in Brighton, in a festival in Brighton. And it was just a two-handed sort of chamber piece. Um, and he said, um, he came home and said, have you heard of this actor? Um, and I hadn't. And I couldn't believe it. He was a, a for those of people who are listening who don't know, he was a black American actor um, who came to England in 1824, performed, um, uh, not fellow, yes, fellow at the Theatre Royal Covent Garden in 1833, had a wow. career across Europe, was knighted and awarded, and was the highest paid actor ever in Russia, had a state funeral wow. in 1867 in Poland, and then was written out of history. So I, That's... it's a great story, right? Oh. Um, so yes. So you just thought, I've, I've got to tell I've this. I've got to find him, yeah, I've got to find him. And how long did it, I'm always interested in, you know, how long something takes, you know, you, people who aren't in the industry, I think, are, are, are often ask me, well, how long does it take you to have from the, the idea to the actual standing on stage? And, and uh, it's such a kind of movable feast, isn't yeah. it? How, roughly how long did it take you to, to get that to production? Well, because I, from the first idea of finding him in 98 to the first production was 2012. So, wow. so that long but I, I I researched him for about three years solidly and then thought it's a film and I didn't feel I had the skills to write a film so I put him away and then I and then somebody said to me write the play so I started to write the play having never written a play before really other than in, at home you know trying it out yeah. Um, yeah. and then I started to submit it to theatres but I, it got rejected an awful lot so it took me seven years from starting to write the play to getting it done Wow, gosh, it's that thing, isn't it? Where and also, which hopefully one tries to impart to again one's children, is the perseverance of something. Yeah, you know that that when you do have that idea and that the tenacity is so important to because of course people are going to say no. Yeah. You know that I mean I, I'm working on a show which is going to be on at the Rep in, in May, which is partly autobiographical and partly about the greatest victory that my football team, Aston Villa, ever had 40 years ago when they became champions of Europe. And in the show, I recreate my first audition at Central, which went 
absolutely terribly. But I remember, and I staged this in the show, I remember thinking, oh, they'll still have me. Yeah. In some deluded fashion, even though it had got, I'd, I'd chosen to do a ludicrous piece by Davis from The Caretaker, like a 70-year-old tramp, I was like, so wrong. <laughs> and I thought, but in some deluded way, I thought, oh, they'll call my name out. And then, of course, they did. Yeah, but then I think that level of tenacity to keep going is quite important, isn't it? Or delusion, however you choose to look no, at it. No, I know, but you saying that you were, you chose that as a part to play is totally linked to your performance performance style now. You know, so you were, you're yeah, being very so. true to what you were yes. in you. Actually, I can sadly, Lolita, the, the audition panel at Central saw it differently, but <laughs> <laughs> I have to live with that and accept that and move on. Um, do you think because the story Red Velvet is so extraordinary, is there any desire for you to now it's been a huge success on stage to take it to film or, yeah. or not? Yeah, I've written the film, and it, again, oh wow, again, it's that um long old uh. Yeah, taking yeah. uh, cap in hand job of right can we get the money to get it made so we're getting closer and closer and oh i wish you so much Thank luck because when you talk about his life I, I can imagine it obviously theatrically brilliantly but i can also envisage it in film of course one can be great. oh gosh no um do you have any this is the only regrets question i'm going to <laughs> loosely hang it on the title of the podcast do you have any regret that by becoming successful as a writer do you do you feel that's in any way affected the kind of things you're asked to do as an actor or or vice versa how does that work i think the world has changed hasn't it in the last few years that actually double or triple threat or whatever you want to call it it is acceptable now so when you meet young uh, like up-and-coming artists they're all doing everything Uh, and it's great it's a very positive thing when i was writing and acting to start with People advise me, don't don't tell people about the rights. Just when you go into yeah, I, I had exactly the same. In fact, in fact, I had a thing which I didn't quite know how to take it. I used to get some people say, Oh, you should really focus on your director. Yes. And I thought, do they think I'm a terrible <laughs> yes, actor? <that's> right. <laughs> or, or the other way around. I always thought, what what do they actually mean by yes. that? Yes. Well, I had people when the right when Red Velvet did well said, Oh, you're gonna give up the acting now, aren't you? It's like, no, I love acting. That is my first love. Um, And also, presumably, I I find with my directing that my acting completely informs my directing. And presumably there must be similar things to you with the writing. Totally. Well, I soon found out that everyone knew I was writing anyway when I was acting, because it was all sort of reviewed and stuff in the papers. And people would say, oh, you're writing. That's great. So I don't hide it at all now. And actually, exactly right. It completely feeds each other and it feeds your choices. Because it's, it's yes. very empowering, isn't it? Not to go, okay, I've got to go and do this job where I'm another doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Saying sort of difficult things in Latin. You know, oh, do I really need to say, do that now? No, I've got writing. So it gives you, it empowers you to do both. Um, yeah, I, to- I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, well, it's flown by. It's been so lovely chatting to you and reconnecting with you, Lolita. One other thing, I, I, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm desperate to... Actually, I did have tickets for the, for the pandemic when it first was on for The Life of Pi and we, with the family, and we were, were in the process of rebooking. And you're working with the lovely Max. Yes. 
um, who was my assistant at the Royal Exchange when we did an American comedy. Yeah, he was he was based as a young director there, and he was so brilliant when he assisted me. And he's gone on to do so well. But it sounds such a wonderful production, and I've heard people who don't go to the theatre say how much they've enjoyed it. Is that has that been the case? Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, it is. It's an extraordinary piece. I'm really proud of it. I mean, it's this epic book, right? It's an unstageable mm. epic book. Yes. So, so I think that in itself is intriguing. How did they put that on stage? But it it is it is a play. It is completely a play, but it, it's an event because there's so many different uh, disciplines within it. So there's puppeteering, but a yeah. very uh, we, we found a puppeteering world that is different to one you will have seen in other shows. You know, so it's original for us. And then there's amazing design, sound, music. Um, video projection so it makes this experience extraordinary and then this cast that works so hard I mean physical for yeah. you will be testament to physical yeah. theatre I am in awe because that is not my thing at all um, to do but they work so hard so when they all come out at the end you are absolutely applauding the the, the fabulous story and the storytelling and, mm -hmm. and the event but you're applauding how hard they have worked for you in the last two hours <laughs> also what i love about what i love about what you've just described is it sounds like something that only theater can do it it, it sounds pure theater how you talk about it i had an experience the other night on monday evening i i went to see the production of the chairs at the almeida with brilliant Catherine hunter and it, it's it's well they're all brilliant the three of them it was such so refreshing to see something which again could only be theater yeah in how it was presented how it was communicated it couldn't work on film or on it was there in that moment and it was so refreshing and it sounds like that's what that is as well um well lolita it's been lovely chatting i've got i've got eight final questions okay. which are very quick fire okay. and the idea of this is you say your first response that comes to you so don't think about any of the answers okay um cricket or football cricket pina bausch or matthew bourne matthew bourne Beyonce or Mary J. Blige? Beyonce. Oysters or steak tartare? Steak tartare. Cannon Hill Park or the Botanical Gardens? Cannon Hill. <laughs> <laughs> Staying with Birmingham, this is a question on nightclubs, snobs or faces? Oh, oh. difficult. That's difficult. What about Edward number eight? You haven't got Edward number eight, I know. Sorry. I'm... Oh, faces. Faces. <laughs> um, the Three Sisters or Hedda Gabler? Hedda Gabler. And if you were a contestant on either of these shows, which show would it be? Celebrity Mastermind or Celebrity Great British Bake Off? Oh dear, is that the choice? What, 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 yeah, sorry. I'm going to be like ousted straight away. I'll go for the Bake Off and just offer my sponge. <laughs> <laughs> Lolita, it's been so lovely chatting to you and I hope we can maybe get together soon at the rep at some oh, event or something. Um, but thanks very much. Have a good day. You too. Thanks. Bye. Take care. Bye bye. Dear listeners, if you've enjoyed this idiot podcast, please spread the word.